Well, good morning. My name is Nate Arnold, and uh, I'd like to say uh, hello, fellow time travelers. Everybody's an hour ahead of where they would be. You always wanted to do that, right? Traveling, traveling time in your life. Um, we've been going through a small mini-series about how to read our scripture, how to read the Bible, and how to look at it. Uh, our first sermon was on we need to look at Christ or look at the scripture through the lens of Christ and through the gospel of Christ. Our second one, we talked about some tools that are in your box and we sought to put tools that are in your box so you can not treat the Bible as a magic book. And uh, this morning's sermon has a very exciting title called Trainwreck, but uh, we'll get to that. It'll be fun. And But this morning we're really going to drill in on something. We've been kind of drilling, and, and as I prayed and studied through these lessons, the Lord showed me, and I didn't do this on my own, the Lord kind of showed it to me, that we're, we're really drilling into the core of the gospel. So we're, we're, we're about to the core this morning of, of the gospel when we talk about the subject that we're going to talk about. But I want to tell you a true story first, and then we'll go into some other things. A good friend of mine... He applied for his concealed weapons permit, and he was denied. So when he contacted SLED, uh, which is the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division for the folks from North Carolina, they uh, said, hey, uh, bad news is you've committed a felony, and there's a warrant out for your arrest. Well, he knew that he had not committed this felony, and he knew that there shouldn't be any warrant out for his arrest, and... If, if so, his whole life was going to really be in trouble because he worked for the government and he had a security clearance and on and on and on. So he informed the person that sled he had not done this act. And they said, well, the uh, Charleston Police Department, Charleston Sheriff's Department is the one who reported that you did this when they ran your name and you're going to have to go work it out with them and you need to go down to the sheriff's office in person. So this was a little daunting to him, and he went to the sheriff's office. He made the trip down there, and he, uh, he was a little scared. And, and he confessed to me that he was really, really scared. And he knew that once he got inside the confines of the sheriff office, sheriff's office, once he got behind the security barrier and everything, things weren't going to go well if, if he couldn't get this straightened out. And he had a lot of fear and trepidation. Matter of fact, so much fear and trepidation that he literally called his wife and says, Hey, if you don't hear from me in an hour, you're probably going to need to bail me out of jail. And uh, so his wife's like, what? And he's like, hey, well, just, just if you don't hear from me in like an hour, hour and a half, yeah, come get me. So he goes in and he sees the major at the sheriff's, sheriff's office. And uh, the major takes one look at his mugshot and one look at the person that they had classified with his name. And the major realized right off that he was not the crack dealer that they had a warrant out for his arrest. Literally, had same name, and when they had responded back, they had made a mistake to SLED. So he was very worried about this, and to this day, he reminds me constantly, he said, you'll never know how, he's one of our software guys, and, and he says, you'll never know how scared I was going in that sheriff's office, not knowing whether this thing was going to be worked out or not. Now, I want you to imagine for a second that this were you. This is you. But you're guilty. You are guilty. And you know that when you go 
in that sheriff's office or you meet a police officer that you're going to be arrested. Well, eventually the warrant gets served, you're caught, you're arrested, you're taken into the sheriff's office, you're locked up, they assign you a pro bono, a free attorney, a a court-appointed attorney. It's time for your uh, attorney to meet with you and your attorney comes into your cell and begins to discuss your case and you say, look, this thing's just been hanging over my head. It's hanging over my head. And, and I know that I committed this crime. And, and it's, it's just really been bothering me. And I'm really sorry for this crime. And I, I, I really want to get this thing over with. And I, I just can't tell you how sorry I am for this. And my best recourse, I think, is to go into that courtroom when we see the judge and just tell the judge, hey, hey judge, I'm, I'm here to pay for my crime. And I understand what I did. I'm not just sorry for being caught. I'm sorry for the crime. And the attorney stops you. And he says, let me ask you one question. He says, do you trust me? And you're like, what? (laughs) Do you trust me with this? And you're thinking in your mind, no way, dude, because I don't even know you. You know, you're a pro bono attorney appointed by the court. I I don't even have a clue who you are. But the more you talk to him and the more you get to know him, you finally go, you know, I'm willing to put this all in your lap. I'm willing to trust you with it. And at that, your attorney books. He gets up. He walks completely out of the cell. He, He leaves, and you're kind of flabbergasted. And the next time you see your attorney is in court. And you walk into the courtroom. There's your attorney. The case begins. They read the charges against you. And your attorney puts his hand up. And he goes forward and he talks to the judge for just a few minutes, just, just a few seconds. And then he returns to the bench where you are. And the judge stands up and says, the court proceedings are stopped. I have information. This person, he uses your name, is not guilty. I declare, and the gavel falls, and he says, not guilty. So you're just wowed, freaked out by this. The bailiff grabs you, takes you out. You don't even get to speak to your attorney. He takes you out. The next thing you know, you get to change out of your orange jumpsuit. They give you your clothes and stuff back. They give you all your belongings back. And you're walking through the police station. One of the officers takes you over and shows you, hey, not only that, not only did you get declared not guilty, but we're expunging your record. It's gone out of the computer. Hard thing to do. But it's what we're doing. And you see it, it goes away. And You're walking through all these cops. You know you're guilty. <laughs> and you're walking through all these cops and you're just waiting for the hammer to drop. But they're all smiling at you, all nodding at you, and eventually you walk out of the building and you wind up in the parking lot wondering, what in the world just happened to me? Well, in my best Arnold Schwarzenegger, you've just been justified. You've just been justified. You were declared just. For those of you who've seen the movie Eraser, you got that. The other folks didn't. But you've just been justified. Now, justified is a technical term in the Bible, and we need to discuss what it means before we go any farther. Merriam-Webster 
says that justified means to prove or show or just to be just, right, or reasonable. Your actions have proven or shown to be just, right, or reasonable. Baker's Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology says justification is the declaring of a person to be right or justice. Now I need to say what justification is not. Justification is a technical term of something that happens to you and it is not something that happens on the inside of you. It is something that happens outside of you. So justification does not change you internally. It is something that is done to you or declared about you. And this is important as we go forward. And we'll throw J.I. Packer's uh, statement there. He, he wrote a statement in the Doctrine of Justification book, which is by James Buchanan, if any of you care to read it. He says this, the doctrine of justification by faith is like Atlas. Remember the Greek god Atlas that held the world on his back? He says the justification, the doctrine of justification is like Atlas. It bears a world. It bears a world on its shoulders. The entire evangelical knowledge of saving grace the doctrines of election, of effectual calling, regeneration and repentance, of adoption, of prayer, of the church, the ministry and the sacraments have all to be interpreted and understood in the light of justification by faith. When justification falls, all true knowledge of the grace of God in human life falls with it. And then as Luther said, the church itself falls. That's a lot to put on one little word, isn't it? How about Wayne Grudem? Wayne Grudem, in his systematic theology, says a right understanding of justification is absolutely critical to the whole Christian faith. So the thing that we're talking about is really a centerpiece or a linchpin of the gospel this morning. Something that happens to us that is of extreme importance if these two men of this caliber would say something like that about justification. So we're going to look at some points about justification, talk about that real, real quickly. I need everybody very quickly, put your hand up and do this. One, two, three, come on. Okay. This is called your flipper. So this morning when I'm going through Scripture, you're going to be flipping a lot or scrolling a lot, whichever you guys want to do, I don't care. But uh, you're going to be using that a lot, and hopefully you'll take some notes to take home and study more about justification as we talk about it. Because this doctrine is central to our salvation. So number one, justification is a stated concept in Scripture. What do I mean by that? I mean that it's not where, that where we've taken a bunch of verses all throughout the Bible and put them together and said, hey, this is kind of the concept that we're talking about. Justification is a stated concept in Scripture. And you'll find that in Romans 8.30, which we've already read this morning. It specifically calls out justification. The Bible calls and uses the term justification just as we would use it today. So it's not a derived term. Clearly stated in Scripture. Number two, justification has an attached chronology. What do I mean by that? Justification has an attached chronology. It means that it happens in a sequence, a sequence of events. And Paul calls them out right here in our Scripture that we talked about this morning. It comes after or by 
faith. And we'll look at a few Scriptures here. Romans 3.26, God says He is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith. In other words, you have faith and then you get justified. You have faith and you get justified. Romans 3.28, one is justified by faith. Faith comes, you are justified apart from the law. Romans 5.1. And if I'm going too fast, I'll slow down. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, you start, start to see a chronology. I can't tell you if justification happens five minutes after faith. Uh, that, that's not. But we do see a chronology, a sequence listed in the Scripture here. Galatians 2.16. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. Number two. Scripture defines the state or condition in which we are justified. Do, in other words, what I'm saying is, are we justified by becoming holy first? By becoming perfect first? The Scripture says we're not. The plain teaching of Scripture says we're in an ungodly state, as a matter of fact, when, when we're justified. Romans 4, 5 says, And to the one who does not work, but trust him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Now remember, I'm not talking about what happens in us with salvation. I'm not talking about the change in the new life, the regeneration. I'm talking specifically about justification. Because the Bible does say in 1 Corinthians 5.17 that we're a new creature or a new creation in Christ. It does say that. And that's very true because the Bible says it. And then in 1 Corinthians 10.13, we don't have to sin. It's not a license to sin. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So, Justification is not talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and it's not talking about uh, our ability to sin or not to sin. It's talking about something, an external declaration that happens outside of us. And we'll get to this in a minute, why this is important. Well, why or how do we get justified? What's the basis of this justification? Why do you think you would be justified? How would you be declared not guilty if you are actually guilty. How would it happen? You're really guilty. How would it happen? 1 Corinthians uh, 1.30 tells us He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness. Our righteousness results in our justification and sanctification and redemption. It comes from somewhere else. It comes from Christ. Philippians 3.9 says that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness. In other words, I don't get justified by my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. So, the basis or grounds of justification is the work of Jesus Christ who paid the penalty for my sin on the cross. It's the only way we can get justified. I can't be good enough. I can't live good enough. And we've already seen that we get justified when we're ungodly. It's kind of a little paradoxical almost, isn't it? Well, how does justification come to us? How does justification 
come to us? What is the means or instrument of justification? We've already read some scriptures here, and we'll look at them. And the ones I put in green, I I put them in green at the bottom because we just flat don't have time to cover this amount of scripture in, in the short hour and a half that I'm allotted to talk. Just kidding. But we, we just don't have the amount of time. So the green ones, please take those home and study those also. But how does justification come to us? It's dispensed by grace. It comes to us through faith, by grace through faith. Romans 3.23, plain teaching, 23-25 through 25 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. Through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus who God put forward as a propitiation, fancy word there, big word, propitiation, it just simply means to satisfy God's wrath. God is angry at sin. Somebody had to take the punishment. Christ absorbed all God's wrath. God's wrath is no longer aimed against us, and therefore we can be justified. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God not a result of work so that Nate can't boast. Because I like to boast. I'm good, right? But I can't because it's been done by somebody else. And I can't because I know I'm guilty. Titus 3 and 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by His grace, this is how it gets to us again, it's dispensed by grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Well, if you remember last Sunday, I told you that salvation is a package deal. It's a package deal. Just like the law we talked about last Sunday was a package deal. If you break one, you've broken them all because it's a package deal. Salvation is a package deal also. And I like to think of salvation as a train. I like to think of these aspects. It helps me since I'm a product of the South Georgia public school system. That it helps me to to get my brain wrapped around this. And I I think of these, these aspects of salvation as a train. And I'd like to throw this up here. The train of salvation rides on the rails of Christ. The train of salvation rides on the rails of Christ. And it's connected by the coupler of faith to the engine of God's grace. The train of salvation rides on the rails of Christ, connected by the coupler of faith to the engine of God's grace. Let that soak for a second. Because it's easy to switch these things around or it's easy to let other thoughts creep in that begin to affect this central doctrine of justification. It's easy for our culture to push thoughts and ideas into our minds and the next thing you know we're thinking them and thinking that they're biblical when they're actually not. And this is where the train wreck part comes in. And I'm just going to throw four up there for sake of time, and we'll discuss each one quickly. But anytime something other than what is biblically taught about justification enters your mind, I want you to think in your mind loud and long, train wreck! Everybody got that? 
train wreck. It's a train wreck anytime. We're talking bodies and boxcars everywhere. Anytime something else creeps in that affects our justification in a non-biblical way. First of all, often happens, and you hear people say this, well, God is not just. Satan whispers this into our mind, says, why you? Why you? Why you and not everybody else? What makes you so special? Train wreck. Train wreck. Why is it a train wreck? Because it removes the engine of God's grace from the train. It, first of all, Scripture clearly says that God is righteous and that He is just. Right there in Romans 3.25 and 3.26, He tells us God is, so that's a plain teaching of Scripture, a lie right, right off. But when we remove the engine of grace, we have a train wreck. We have a train running loose down the hill without an engine to control it or to stop it, and it's going to result in a bad situation. The engine of grace. Now, why is that important, or how does that happen? Well, I kind of like to think of it as a kindergarten trophy. (laughs) No offense (laughs) to any kindergarten teachers in here, but a kindergarten trophy just makes people feel good, doesn't it? I mean, that's its purpose. It, It serves its purpose. It's good. It has no intrinsic value. It's made of plastic. And... When people say, hey, the grace has to go to, you know, if God's going to save me, you know, or God's going to do this, why not everybody else? It's not grace if, it's not grace if God can't choose to give to whom he will. It's not grace. It's a demand. When God can say, I give to whomever I will, and we can look this up in Scripture later, if, if you're struggling with this. But it's not grace unless God dispenses justification to whomever He will. And Romans chapter 9 is abundantly clear on this issue. Romans chapter 9 is just abundantly clear on this issue. Two, you might begin to think, well, God just can't forgive. I need to do something holy first. Train wreck. It's a train wreck. Okay? You've just removed the track of Christ. The reason you get justified in the first place. When you have to do something that acquires your justification. It's something that comes to you externally. It's not something you do. And when that happens, you take away the track of Christ. The reason we can be forgiven is because Christ absorbed that wrath. Remember that? And, when he, and uh, so we didn't have to. And he lived a sinless life that gets imputed to us or given to us. And therefore, we can be called righteous. Number three, you might begin to think, God must have looked down through the ages and seen something good in me. Now, there's multiple variations of this out there. God looked down through the ages and saw that there was something good in me, and therefore, he chose me and he justified me. Train wreck. Absolute train wreck. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 tells us, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
train wreck. Number four, our last one here. You might begin to think, well, we just can't have faith. We have to have works too. This is a popular idea today. We have to have faith and works, and that's what makes us saved. Yeah, I've got the faith you're talking about, Nate, but you know, if you don't have these works in here and they're not, then you're not saved. You're not justified. Now, I would agree in where you're going with that in, in, a, in, a, in a case, but we need to explain what we mean when we say that. Because that's a train wreck. It's literally a train wreck. This replaces a coupler of faith. Remember that? The coupler of faith with something else. It decouples us from the engine of grace. Faith is the means by which I have these works. Not the other way around. I don't have faith because I have the works. I don't have faith because of these fruits. I have the fruits that I have in my life because I have, say it with me, faith, right? And these works do demonstrate my faith. I would agree with you in in Romans 3.21 through 4.25. Please study that if you have any, any questions. Well, why is this important? Who cares? Really, who cares? Why is it important? I want you to understand that you and I can be forgiven of something. And I'm talking on a legal basis here. Even in our court system today, you and I can be forgiven of something. Somebody can say, I forgive you. But we remain guilty and unrighteous. We can be forgiven in that sense, but we're still legally guilty and unrighteous. We're still in a bad legal situation. Justification, God's justification, removes the guilt, removes that legal guilt that is still held against us, even if we're forgiven. Do you see this? It's a legal declaration by God. It removes all guilt and legally declares us righteous. Now, television has created a myth that circulates in our culture. You'll see it on TV all the time. And it's regarding the refusal of a person to press charges. You'll see the, you'll see the officer in the movie. They'll, be, they'll have a battered wife, a battered spouse situation. And, and the wife just won't press charges against her husband. There's nothing the officer can do. And he's frustrated. And he just can't get this bad guy and get him locked up the way he needs to be and, and take care of the situation. Absolute untruth. That's television. Because in real life, the officer themselves can file the charge. They file the charge with the DA. And once the DA actually files the charge with the court, guess what? No one can undo those charges unless the DA themselves go in and drop the charges. You can't just say, hey, I'm not going to press charges. Does it work that way? Does it work that way in our court system? And it doesn't work that way with God. Criminal charges can only be dropped by the attorney who filed them. After that, the case has to be disposed of in the court system. And even if the case gets dropped, even if it's dropped before it goes to court, did you know that the charges can still be reconstituted and you can still be called back into court on those same charges? And you say, well, Nate, what about double jeopardy? Remember... You never went through the judicial system and you were never declared not guilty. Your case was never disposed of. Those charges were never handled. So you are at risk the whole time that this is happening to you. 
And you see, in a biblical sense, the charges against us have been filed by God Himself. God Himself. And the court docket reads, God Almighty versus yours in my name. God Almighty versus Nate Arnold. God Almighty versus whatever your name is. And there's not a creature in all the universe who can drop the charges against you when God levies those kind of charges. And the Bible is clear about that. Those charges have been levied against my heart or or against me in that sense. But because of justification, and here's the importance of justification, we can never be brought under condemnation. You see, you can, you can be forgiven and still be guilty, but here's the catch. And here's the most marvelous thing to me. But to know that you're actually guilty, just like our guy that wound up in the parking lot, just like you when, when you walk past all those officers, to know that you're actually guilty. I'm guilty. I've sinned. I've fallen short of the glory of God. I'm guilty. But to know that you're actually guilty and be forgiven and legally declared not guilty is the greatest thing that could ever happen to you in your life. Well, we're getting close to wrapping up here. But I want you to see forgiveness, God forgives, and He meets the requirement of His holy and and just righteousness. God forgives because He loves. God forgives on the basis of Christ. And at the same time as the God of the universe who must be perfect and and holy and righteous and just, He is able to declare us not guilty on the basis of Christ. And this all comes to us through faith in Christ. When we have faith in Christ, Jesus is our Savior and Lord. And through Christ's sinless life and His payment for our sins by His death on the cross, our legal state gets changed. And it's the most marvelous thing, and we've read it this morning, and I want to read it to you again. When this happens to you, when you are forgiven on the basis of Christ, when your life's changed, and when you are declared righteous and justified in the court of God Almighty, these are the things that happens. And I I, I do want to read this scripture here to you. We'll start with... uh, 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. Understand that. None. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What shall we say then to these things? Wow. <laughs> That's what I say. Okay, What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? All things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? They can't. I'm justified. No longer is anything, can anything be brought, no charge can be brought against my soul. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, famine, nakedness, danger or sword, internet, don't care, anything, nothing in there. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. People just run over us. 
all the time. But even in that, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is what happens. And as the old preacher said, the old Baptist preacher said, uh, if this don't light your fire, your wood's wet. Really. (laughs) If this doesn't excite you as a follower of Christ, your wood's wet. This is what happens when God grants us justification by faith in Jesus Christ. It is astonishing. It is marvelous. And it is wonderful. And if you have not trusted in Christ this morning, I ask, will you come to Him and be justified? Will you? Will you come to Christ and be justified? Let's pray. Father, You know the hearts and the minds of this people better than we ourselves, than the people ourselves. And you know the struggles that we have with understanding that we are justified, that we are free, that no charge can ever be brought against my soul because of the work of Jesus Christ and your legal declaration that I'm just free, I'm clear, I don't have a single charge standing against me in heaven, Lord. And this is the most wonderful thing. And Lord, I pray that if there's someone here this morning that does not understand that, I pray that You would show them. Lord, I pray that You would give this congregation a heart to dig down in these Scriptures that we've looked at and really get a grip on what's happened here. How, how fabulous and how fantastic this is, because it'll change the way we live, Lord, if we can understand that. And I ask you to push this into our hearts through your Holy Spirit, and that Christ would be glorified, and that the word about this awesome, awesome salvation and justification would just be spread in this community, Lord, the way that you desire for it to be, and that your name would be magnified through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.